Good evening, and once again, like last week, I am not really trying to grab all my papers over right now. Okay, hello, good evening, the Sikawaks, my relatives. As I did in the previous round, I want to acknowledge the relations of the territory on which we gather tonight. The earth beneath our feet have borne witness to the history of the Blackfoot people. It has sustained our people for generations, and it will continue to do so. I want to again thank everyone for coming out tonight to hear what is to be said and sharing the expanding of our minds. In the past two rounds, some pretty amazing, intelligent, articulate people have shared their thoughts on freedom of speech at the local and national level. And they are some pretty tough competition, I have to admit, and I am honored to have shared this experience with each and every one of them. I want to thank the family and the friends who are here and who have been here to stand alongside us while we take this opportunity to learn and grow, offering words of wisdom, and oftentimes, in my case, words of comfort. I also want to acknowledge Courtney for all the work and heart she's put into this experience and for her friends who I have seen come out every night. It is not often we are blessed to have such amazing people in our lives who stand by us through all of our experiences. And lastly, I want to give a huge thanks, and possibly a round of applause, I mean, for the organizers, contributors, and the judges of this competition. Give them a round of applause. In the last two rounds discussing freedom of speech, I've spoken about a couple of things that I'll recap briefly. And I just lost my page. Sorry. With any freedom, there comes a responsibility. And with the freedom of speech is a responsibility to listen to what is being said without passive infrastructure. That is, without value, without opinion, without ego. Opening your mind, body, and soul to what is being said because those words are spirits. Those words are energy. They are intimate pieces of who we are that we are giving to one another. And that will come back to us somehow through this life. I use the example of how the black people would make a decision. Everyone had a chance to say their peace. Everyone would sit around. And you could say whatever you wanted to say as long as you were willing to listen to what else was being said. Our reality is not an absolute one. Our truth is not an absolute one, but a collective one. Imagine a collage, a beautiful collage. And each and every one of us has a piece of that collage that when we put it together, creates a beautiful piece, a beautiful image that we can share. The responsibility goes beyond our human relatives to that of the earth. And those who cannot speak for themselves because we choose not to listen to them. I'm talking about the plants, the bugs, the underwater beings, the wind beings, the four-legged ones, and the earth as a collective. All of this goes back to concepts that are taught in the Native American paradigm from Professor Leroy Little Bear, who is here on this campus. In his article, Jagged Worldviews Colliding, he says, the Aboriginal value of sharing manifests itself in relationships. Relationships result from interactions with the group and with all of creation. Sharing speaks not just to interchanging material goods, but also more importantly to the strength to create and sustain good feelings, positively love, light, harmony. Maintaining good feelings is one reason why a sense of humor pervades Aboriginal societies. We all like to laugh, we all like to joke, 
we all like to smile and laugh with one another. Sharing also brings about harmony, which sustains strength and balance. And with that, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Holden Arkai Woman. My English name is Abby Morningville. I am a Sifdapi. I am a Blackfoot woman from Bigani. My parents are saying Albert Morningville. I am a descendant of Brace Down the Sun, a warrior, a wiper of clan, of Joseph Fan, of James Deenham, Treaty Signatory of Treaty 6, and the last hereditary chief of Bigani, John Yellowhorn. And I stand before you today because of their sacrifice, their prayers, and their strength. What I speak about when I speak about freedom of speech is from the Aboriginal paradigm. It is from an Indigenous worldview. Because that is what I know. And that is what I live each and every day. What I share with you is my experience, knowledge, because I, don't, I can't speak for somebody else. I can't speak for you. I'd be taking away from you. Instead, what I can do is listen to you and share your words down the road through other conversations. And I hope and I pray that you do the same with my words. I speak to you from an indigenous worldview because that is what my ancestors strove for. They strove for our ways of life and our ways of knowing to be respected and acknowledged in their own right and not, as anthropology calls it, mysticism and folklore. And to me, it seems that indigenous people, and not just indigenous people, but women, children, and the marginalized groups on the fringes of society are being denied their most precious of all human rights, and that is the freedom to be ourselves, the freedom to express ourselves wholeheartedly, the freedom to, to pray, to talk, to converse, to be who they are. And with that, I want to clarify, what I have to say is not meant to make anyone feel bad. It's not meant to make anyone feel guilty. It's not meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Instead, what I hope it does is it empower you to rethink the current system that we are operating in. Now, the current system we operate in with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms stems from Western European countries. With France and the French Revolution, which then came over to America and the American Revolution, and then to Canada. These rights and this system were designed by and for landowning men. Not women, not children, not minorities, not the mentally challenged or physically disabled, but for able-bodied men who owned sections of land. And that system has been allowed to move forward. And yes, it has grown. It has grown to include some groups. But at the same time, that acceptance hasn't gone beyond, in some cases, empty promises and empty hope. And that is because when we come together, and the system was moving forward and being designed, it was about how the, system, how the people could accommodate the system that existed, and not how the system could accommodate people. And Willie Ermine, who was an ethicist with the Indigenous Peoples Health Research Center, an assistant professor with the First Nation University of Canada, wrote and talked about something called the ethical space of engagement and the sacredness of ethical engagement. 
The ethical stage of engagement is formed when two societies with desperate worldviews are poised to engage each other. It is the thought about diverse societies and the space in between them that contributes to the development of a framework for dialogue between human communities. And I, I always talk about coming together and having a dialogue and talking to one another. And again, my experiences have only been that of an Indigenous woman living in Canada. I'd like to use the example of consultation in Canada with First Nations people and the federal government, provincial government, and corporations. When they come in to consult us, our elders who step forward and those who have knowledge come forward and share that knowledge wholeheartedly and openly. They tell these people what they need to know and what is important to them for them to know. They will tell you the medicine wheel is by this place, by this river from this bend. And it is there for a reason. And that there are relations on that line that stand beyond where that medicine wheel is. However, no matter how much we share, it doesn't meet the empirical and objective data which is needed in this society. We have strove for scientific objectivity in this society. As Courtney explained in her speech, democracy and government has been influenced by science, by being as objective as we can be. And now recently we have acknowledged that Sheer objectivity, it cannot be done. There will always be an influence and a bias which stems from your tacit infrastructure. And your tacit infrastructure are those things that you hold dear. And it's not a bad thing. It really isn't a bad thing. Spirituality, prayer, values are all important. They really are. But when you're engaging somebody in a conversation, who is from a background that you may not understand, it is important to open your mind and to hear what that person has to say and that they hear what you have to say. And this is important because it goes back to harmony and balance. I keep talking about reciprocity in my past speeches. Reciprocity, I give something to you, it comes back to me. The ebb and flow of the universe, the flux, as Leroy describes it. When we don't play our part and own up to our responsibilities that we have, not only to one another, but to our relations with the earth, with the spirit, we become out of balance. We become disharmonious. And a lot of negativity can be perpetuated between people. And this, this imbalance comes out on the land as well. We have seen the impact of industry throughout the world over. We have seen tribes in the Amazon fight to the death to protect their sacred land, to protect their relatives. We have seen indigenous people in Canada rise up time and time again to protect their relatives, to protect the land, because we know that we are not the above creation. We are but a part of it. We fit into it. We don't have complete authority over it, and it cannot be manipulated to our whim and to our desires. That can't happen. And we've seen the fallout of that in our lifetime. We are so interconnected with the universe, with these beings, 
and yet we often forget about them. I said last week, a tree cannot tell you that it, it hurts when you cut it. A rock cannot tell you, I don't want to be a piece of that floor. A fish can't tell you, this water hurts me. This water is making me sick. I can't breathe. They can't say those things, but there are people who stand up for them. And I'm not just speaking about indigenous people. I'm talking about we've seen environmentalists come forward. And it is with dismay that I bore witness to the silencing of scientists. And there are so many who stood up with us and used their gifts and their knowledge to empower what indigenous people have known for a long time about the land. But at the same time, this does not surprise me in the least. Because again, this system was created for and by land-owning men of Western Europe. And again, I'm not speaking against the descendants of Western Europeans. I'm speaking about the system which exists and the system that we uphold, that we perpetuate. And changing a system like that, it can be really difficult if you look at it in an adversarial context. I'm fighting the system. I'm fighting for rights. I'm fighting. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have gotten into a physical altercation with somebody? And you fought. How did you feel after? Exhausted? Frustrated? Angry? Upset? How much you won? <laughs> but maybe you made it But at the same time, those physical symptoms of that fight, that affects your body. Now think about when we stand up and say, we're fighting, we're engaging in a fight. If we look at it in a, in a adversarial system and fighting against governments, as so many people say, we are wasting energy. Because for a lot of people, they know that in a fight, they're outmanned, they're outresourced. And let's face it, they have a whole heck of a lot more money than we do. But if you don't look at it as a fight, and instead look at how you can change those around you, how you can influence those around you, how you can raise consciousness of those around you to be aware of how their life and the way they live their lives impact their immediate surroundings, the people around them, their communities, even the land. If you can raise the consciousness of that, it grows up, it expands because Positivity perpetuates positivity. When you walk into a room or you're walking down the hallway and you're all happy, right? And you see somebody and you shoot them a smile, you know? Sometimes they smile back, other times they don't. But at the same time, you might have made someone's day. You don't know how that person might have felt. You don't know what kind of day they're having. But maybe in you, just sharing that smile with them, you brighten their day. You brought your spirits up. And we need to remember that, that this system and things like freedom of speech, we have responsibilities that come along with them. And that these are not things that a piece of paper can dictate to me. It's just that's not how it works. 
these things, the social contract that we have with people, that we have with each other, doesn't have to define how we interact with one another. And the world over, we forget that. We forget how we're supposed to listen to each other, be good to one another, love one another, respect one another. We lose sight of that. And we disempower ourselves when we do that. When we look at the grand scale of how things are, it's scary. It is really scary. Because you think to yourself, how can one person change all of this? How can one person do all of this? And to that I say, well, you can change the world. You really can. But don't look up here. Look here. Look at the people beside you, the people who support you. How can you change them? How can you empower them? How can you raise their consciousness of how we treat one another, of how we treat the earth, how we treat the beings that are around us? How can we be good to one another? And with freedom of speech, I'll say it again, a lot of groups are marginalized by this. And again, I can only use Indigenous people as the example because that is what I know. That is what I live. That is what I understand. And let me tell you, it's so belittling and frustrating when my creation stories and the stories of the tattoos behind my ears, people tell me, oh, that's just a legend. Because within those stories, our values, within those oral traditions, are things that we can teach one another. So then, yeah, there's stories, but there's meaning behind those stories. And those stories are spirits. And as we continue to give that spirit to the next generation and telling those stories, those values and that empowerment transfers on to the children. And we need to remember that. We need to remember how interconnected we really are. We need to remember that we are just a part of creation. And I'm speaking of rights on a global scale. I'm not just rambling on for no reason. I do have an example. Um, in 2012, Bolivia made a huge step in giving the earth rights that equal to human beings. The earth is now seen as a being in that country. And development must be taken in the context of how it will impact her, how it will impact her being, her existence, her essence. And this change was brought by a man who listened to other people and what they had to say. This change is brought by a collective effort of people listening to one another and acknowledging the indigenous people there. In Bolivia, they use the cocoa leaf as part of their ceremonies. Prior to 2009, the government would come in and fumigate any household that was found to be growing cocoa leaves because cocoa turns into cocaine. And the people there 
stood up and said, this is sacred to us. This has meaning to us. And in one election, one farmer was elected to be president. And the people collectively organized to ensure his election. They worked together. They protected one another while they went to the ballot box. And they stood and they watched to ensure that it was right, it was just, and it was fair. As he moved in, being president, he changed legislation so that the people of Bolivia could grow a small amount of cocoa beans for traditional purposes. He also worked with his government to create social programs to ensure that farmers had their basic needs and fundamental needs met. Food, shelter, water. Because a lot of these farmers would sell their cocoa leaves to ensure that there was food on the table for their family. And to me, that is an amazing thing, the fact that they worked with the indigenous people there and the fact that they gave the earth rights. And that is an example, a beautiful example, of how through conversation, dialogue, empowerment, and meeting together in an ethical space of engagement, things can really change. We have to stop thinking of ourselves as an island that stands alone, that I can stand up here and talk at you instead of with you. We've got to stop, take a good look at the system that we operate in today and think of how we can redesign it so that we see each other as what we really are, and that is human beings. Beings who have the right to be human beings, who have a right to live their lives the way they want to. And we need to really rethink about this system and realize that we can change it. It's not a huge monumentous thing. It takes one person to stand up and say something and other people to listen. And those people will take those words and carry them forward into other conversations with somebody who might need it. And this is fundamentally crucial because of the earth and our relations that are around us. Because again, they cannot speak for themselves. Again, a tree cannot tell you, stop cutting me, that hurts. I'm lonely, you need to call my friends away. How many of you are going to rethink me like from a bush now, eh? I don't know about you, but I always feel bad if I pick anything. But it's through small changes that we may think are meaningless, that we can truly change things so that we do have full freedom of speech because we will be listening to one another. And with that, I'll wrap up. Thank you so much. And now I'm going to listen to the judges.